0: Um, theme of Easter for our Sunday, for a sermon this Sunday. So we find actually right there the continuation of where Will, via Jay, left off last (laughs) week with the Mary Magdalene and John 20th passage. So we're going to continue right there, and I'm actually going to dip a little bit into into Will and Jay's passage (laughs) last week, Uh, but we're really going to be on John 20 this morning. So verse 19 reads, that Sunday evening, remember, that is that same Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday evening. Right? We are a week later, but they're not. They're still, they're still on the same day. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and on his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord, and he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, meaning the next Sunday, the disciples were together again. In this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound at my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. Amen. This is, of course, a known story. From this, we get this idea of the moniker of Doubting Thomas, right? This is the story of Thomas who doubted. Nicole and I, over the last few weeks, at the recommendation of Tim and Linda, we started watching the show, The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen it. It is a portrayal of uh, Jesus and the disciples, and they do a really good job. I think one of the best ones of all the ones that I've seen of uh, bringing the Gospels into, into life. They do such a good job at like, portraying some of the nuances and intricacies of, of the things that are happening. In the show, they're not, they're not in crucifixion week and Easter season yet, so we haven't seen the scene but um, I love that, at least when I'm thinking about the disciples now, um, if you've seen the show, Thomas has this, like, rope that's, like, orange. And he has this, this uh, necklace, and I just kind of see him in it. So it's a really cool idea to actually be able to kind of associate images. Um, they're not real, but, you know, at least the ones that we have uh, to, to the story. And if you haven't seen The Chosen, it's, it's an interesting show. I, 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 uh, I highly recommend it's it. It's so good. Um, So, there is a lot happening here, and it is all related to resurrection and to Easter. And like I was saying, I think it's important to keep the context, because for us, eight days have already passed, but for this story and for the disciples, no time had really passed. And what we have is, on last week's uh, sermon, we know that Mary Magdalene had gone over to the tomb. One of the things that she was going to do, was to tend to the tomb, which is what you would do normally when you were taking care of a body that had been, that had been buried. Not really buried, but and put on a tomb. And when she gets there, she sees that the huge rock that is covering it has been moved. And she walks in there and there is no body in the tomb. So she is thinking that his body had been stolen and taken away. And she starts crying and is really, really confused. One of the reasons why she thinks that his body had been stolen is because, remember, the last seven days prior to this, really the last four days prior to to Good Friday, to Crucifixion Friday, Jesus spent about a week's worth of time causing trouble in Jerusalem. (laughs) And that trouble ultimately ends with his trial and crucifixion. So they are all really nervous because they knew, the disciples knew, that Jesus had caught the attention of the leaders of the time specifically the sadducees who were the leaders around the temple the leaders of which Jesus had gone into the tables and flipped them Jesus the disciples knew that Jesus had been causing trouble and they were scared that it had been the same leaders who had grabbed his body and had stolen from the grave from the tomb so when she goes in there to check in on the situation there is no body and she's crying And then she sees these two messengers, two angels show up. And one sitting on one side and the other one sitting at the other side. And they say, why are you crying? Why are you looking for him? He's not here. And she's thinking that he's been stolen. So then she sees this man who she thinks is the gardener because she doesn't recognize him. And she's talking to him and she's saying, if you have seen him, please tell me where the body went. This is my rabbi, my savior, my my lord. And it is not only until the man actually says her name, he says, Mary, that she recognizes that this man that she had been speaking to, that that is Jesus himself. So Jesus, Mary is the very first one of all the disciples to receive the good news of resurrection, and Mary is the very first one of all the disciples to believe that Jesus had resurrected. And that's where we leave the story last week. Mary received this message and she believed it. Interestingly, as far as we can tell, Jesus was the, the body of Jesus looked different enough that Mary did not recognize him on the very first time she sees him. She thinks it's someone else. And we know Jesus does this a couple of times throughout his resurrected state. He did it with Peter and the disciples when they were around a fire. He sits next to them, and they're talking, and they don't realize that it's him until all of a sudden they realize that it's him. So there's something interesting going on here, right? Mary doesn't recognize him fully. And we we don't entirely understand why or what's going on. But it was not until he says her name that it clicks. She's like, oh, this is Jesus. He has resurrected indeed. And he says to her... Tell everyone that I am ascending to heaven and I will be with my God, your God, my Father, your Father. And she tells, she tells her to take this message, these good news, to the disciples. So she does. And then the story starts here again. That Sunday evening, after Mary had already received the message, after Mary had probably communicated it already, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Because they were afraid. The only thing that we can understand from this is that Mary came and told them, preached to them the good news of the resurrection, but the disciples did not believe her. Because they were still gathering behind closed doors and they were terrified. They didn't believe her. And I can just imagine the conversation, right? Mary you're just hysterical mary you're crazy you're a little emotional that's not really him it was the gardener the gardener mary obviously that was not jesus they were scared they were terrified like i said for the last week jesus spent the week causing trouble in jerusalem everyone was kind of reaching out and and uh, you know trying to to find these disciples They were starting to be known amongst the community as disciples of this Jesus of Nazareth. And they too, they themselves were targets of persecution amongst the people. They thought this savior, this messiah of theirs, who they've kind of been understanding that he's not going to be a military messiah, but I think they still have this like angst about him being a military messiah. He's dead so clearly... There is no army coming in. There is no last battle like in the Lord of the Rings when all the other armies are coming in and they're about to, you know, die in the battle. But then all the elves come in and they kind of save the day. I think they were literally waiting for that moment. and, And that moment is not happening. They're losing the battle and they're losing and they're losing. There is no saving them. Herod is still there. The system is still there. They are gathering, they are terrified, and now the body of their Savior has potentially been stolen or taken away. And they cannot actually finish the proper burial tradition. They are terrified. Mary is saying this thing about, you know, the Lord Himself, but they're just not believing her yet because they had not seen the Lord An interesting thing here that even as we talk about doubting Thomas, and we'll get to this a little bit more. Notice that it is Mary, the very first one, that believed Jesus. Mm -hmm. Not even the disciples did, not yet. It was Mary. Mary did. And the disciples were scared and terrified. And I love this idea of a Jesus encountering us when we are scared and discouraged and terrified and have no clue where else to go. The disciples had a lot of reasons to be licking their wounds and be together. They were grieving the death of their friend, someone that they had been in and out, day in and day out with, for years, we think probably around three, maybe more, years, every single day, hanging out with Jesus, and he had died now. They were grieving. They were scared for... What are we going to do now? What happens to the social movement that we started of flipping tables and (laughs) saying to the Sadducees and Pharisees, you're not really in charge. They were terrified. Judas, one of their own, had betrayed them and betrayed their master. And you know what happened to Judas afterwards? They were terrified. Peter had denied Jesus three times all the disciples had left around crucifixion time all of them fled they were all terrified of what was happening and they all deserted jesus except for john and the mother of jesus mary everyone else had gone away they were terrified and they were just simply not believing mary so in the middle of this terrified state locking the doors behind them imagine us just locking the doors making sure that no one's coming in and we're all gathering here in the evening sunday evening jesus appears to them out of nowhere and i love the first easter message that jesus has for the disciples peace be to you The very first thing, the very first message that the resurrected Christ has for the disciples when he shows up in front of them is peace to you. Jesus knew that they needed peace at that moment. Jesus knew that their hearts needed consoling. Jesus knew that what the disciples needed at that very time, it was peace. And he says to them, peace be with you. Verse 20, as he spoke, notice what he does next. He shows them the wounds in his hands and on his side. So I know we kind of we, we come in harsh on doubting Thomas, but the disciples themselves first got to see the same hands and the same side of Jesus that Thomas was asking to see. In many respects, Thomas was just simply saying, I want to have the same evidence that you have had for me to believe. He is saying, I'm not going to believe your message. I want to see it for myself. But he is saying to them, I want to see what you have seen. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus has showed up in front of them. He says, peace be with you. And then he shows them his wounds in his hand and in his side. And then we know. And you can almost see the countenances and the faces of the disciples that had all gathered around them. And they're all filled with joy. And that feeling of being terrified gets transformed into this feeling of joy when they see the Lord. And He says to them, peace be with you. And then He does something really interesting. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We lose a little bit of this in English, but in Greek it literally says, as the Father has apostoleo me, so I apostoleo you. Apostoleo is the word, apostle is the word for sending. And that's why they're called the apostles, the sent ones. Because Jesus was the first apostle, the first that was sent. So Jesus is saying, you still do not get it. The whole thing that we've been doing this whole time, it wasn't for you to gather after I am gone. It was for you to be sent out and to start preaching the good news and the story of the resurrection of Jesus. It was not for them to gather. It was for them to be sent out, to be apostles, to be messengers, to go on and to do the things that God and Jesus had told them to do. But they still had not gotten it. They still believed that for them, after Jesus is gone, what, what their instinct, and I get it, it's exactly what I would have done, but their instinct is to gather, to kind of close in ranks, to lock the doors, to not let anyone else know. And Jesus is saying to them, no, I am calling you to apostleship. I am calling you to send you out. I am apostolating you. I am sending you out just like the Father has sent me. And then there's this beautiful image. Then he breathes on them and he says, Receive the holy essence or spirit, the holy wind, the essence of God, my essence. And there's these beautiful parallels here to obviously to the Genesis story, right? There is this Jesus that's showing up in the middle of the room out of nowhere. Very similar to this idea of God creating the created order out of nowhere. And then once that is there, God grabs this, this pile of mud. And what, is, what does God do? God breathes life into Adam and mm-hmm. Eve. And in this same way, there is this idea of Jesus breathing into them the Holy Spirit. And then when Benji and Grace were here, Benji preached from the Ezekiel 46 dry bones passage. Once again, we see this same The same construction when the bones were dry in the desert, it was the breath of God. God breathed into them life. And then these bones took on life and form and action and flesh and muscle. It was the breathing into them that gave them action in spirit. So then he breathes unto them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is revolutionary. This is changing a different anticipation and a different way of interacting with God. From before this moment, the essence of God, the Spirit of God was separate from them. It was something that you would go and you would search for at the temple. It was something that you would go and you would search for at synagogue. And you would be depending on religious leaders to show you the essence and the Spirit and the presence of God. But what Jesus is saying is, I am giving you my same essence. And as he's empowering them to go out into the world, he's saying you're going to do it with my essence. Not just with your own, but with the Holy Spirit, with the holy wind, with the holy essence of God that is going to be with you. Although we we, we think a lot about Thomas and Thomas Doubting, this story is actually very similar to many of the other stories we've seen of Jesus. It is really the story of a woman who probably has this complicated past, who definitely does not belong as part of the holy club, who definitely should not have any power or influence, but this woman is the first one to receive the good news of the resurrection and even without seeing Jesus, she sees the gardener, she believes in him. Just because he called her by name. Mm -hmm. And then when she goes to the disciples, they don't believe. Jesus has to show up in front of them in the middle of nowhere. From nowhere, he shows up and he shows them his wounds. And then the disciples believe. And then Thomas, of course, is saying, no, I also want to see the Lord. And God knew, Jesus knew what the, 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 the disciples and Thomas needed. He didn't need to reprimand them. He didn't need to say, oh my gosh, here you go again, not having faith. He gives them exactly what it is that they need. And at the gathering, it was peace and it was his presence. And then when Thomas is there, eight days later, he does it again. And he says, peace to you. Notice something interesting about this story. Eight days later, they were gathered again. They had not gone out yet. They had not gotten out there. They took them a while to understand that the next step in salvation history was to leave Jerusalem. That's hard. They didn't get it. They didn't get that the, the next step for them was to actually go to the ends of the world. Yeah. It took them a while. But really, I think Jesus is doing two things here. One... He is telling us and reminding us that the purpose of the Easter story is not for us just to gather, close in ranks, shut doors, and not talk to anyone. The purpose of the resurrection and the Easter story is for us to be empowered by that same joy and that same spirit and share these good news with everyone around us, but to go, not just to stay. And I think many of us, at least for me, anytime I am scared and anxious and terrified, the very first thing I want to do is just huddle up, is be paralyzed, be in fear. I love the the refrain, misery loves company. I love company when I'm in misery. That's exactly what I want to do. But what Jesus is saying to them is, I am sending you out. And then this is what he does, and, and I find this just so fascinating. He says, go on and forgive sins. And if you forgive them, they will be forgiven. And if you do not, they will not be forgiven. For the time in that day, what Jesus was saying would have landed as heresy in the the ears of the people around him. Because they would understand that only God has the power to forgive sins. So what do you mean I am telling you to go out and forgive sins in the name of Jesus? That would not make any sense to them. But here's part of what's happening with the Easter story. He says to them, peace to you. Because one of the first things that we need to understand is that because of Easter, because of crucifixion, because of resurrection, we now have peace with God. He took care of all the sin issue. He took care of all the judgment issue. He took care of all the not being able to be at peace with God. The resurrection and crucifixion story takes care of that. You are now at peace with God. And further, He is giving us His Holy Spirit. He is giving us His essence. And He is commanding us and instructing us to go in that same authority, power, and essence for giving sins to those around us. We see two things. One, we never know or hear of the disciples not forgiving sins to anyone. And I would advise us not to do the same thing. Right? Right. To, to do the same thing. To not not forgive people's <laughs> sins. To be merciful. And to continue to forgive people's sins. And what they do is they start this movement of people and apostles that go on forgiving people's sins in the name of Jesus. And saying to them, peace. To you. Can you imagine the power of a community that is a forgiving community that goes on forgiving each other's sins all the time? Not taking up offenses, not holding things against each other, not you know, ruminating on the things that happen, but having this ability to forgive sins and to declare forgiveness of sins for other people in the name of Jesus. Our tradition doesn't really do this, but other Christian traditions really do. And there is this idea of confessing sins to someone else. And then that person looks at you and they say, your sins are forgiven. It is a constant and incarnated reminder of the reconciliation work of the gospel that God is doing, that Jesus is doing for us. But we get to do it with each other. And this is part of the gospel that we have been called out to do. To go on and to forgive sins. To say, you are at peace with God. Your sins are forgiven. Because of the resurrection story. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Because Jesus did not stop being obedient to God to the point of death. All of our sins have been taken care of in resurrection. And now your sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how evil you were. It doesn't matter how selfish you were. It doesn't matter how many times you've been told that you do not belong. Your sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter that the nightmares, the trauma, what you have survived, what you have gone through, everything that you have imagined, everything that you have done, all of you is at peace with God and your sins are forgiven. One of the very first things that we do in our relationship and in our communion with God is that we ourselves set up this, this distance with God and we say, I am not worthy to come in front of the presence of God. But the very first thing that Jesus did in His resurrection was to remind the disciples, peace be with you. And that is the exact same Easter message for us this morning. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You are at peace with God. It doesn't matter how bad you feel or how actively you were evil in the way you treated someone. You are at peace with God. It doesn't matter how you feel. You are at peace with God and your sins are forgiven. Imagine the power that this would have If we could internalize this just for our families, between our spouses and our siblings and our parents and our children, if we could look at them and say, peace be with you, your sins are forgiven. Imagine the power this would have when you're stuck in traffic and road rage is kind of coming up, right? And someone's being dumb in front of you and you can remind yourself, peace be with them, their sins are forgiven. Imagine the power that you will have for yourself if every morning and every night you could get up and you can remind yourself and say, Peace be with me. My sins are forgiven. One of the most beautiful things that the resurrection does for us is it changes our identity from being a community that is separate from God. Remember at the crucifixion, remember the veil broke down that separated the holy from the most holy of places? Mm -hmm. There was this symbol that we no longer had this veil, we no longer had this separation, but we ourselves with the Spirit of God, we got to enter into the most holy of places because our sins were forgiven. Mm -hmm. God is not mad at you. God is not disappointed at you. God is not angry with you. God is telling you, peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. That's our identity as a resurrection community. We are forgiven, and we get to be forgiving of others as well. So I want to do something, and I know I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. That's not my goal, but I I want you to, to look at a person next to you or behind you and look at them in the face and tell them, Peace be with you. And now look at them again and say to them, Your sins are forgiven. If you could see what I'm seeing, it's just smiles. That's what happens when we forgive each other's sins when we wish each other peace, when we act in the name of God and we say, not again, no. I cannot believe you did this again. You have disappointed me again. No. When we say your sins are forgiven, it produces joy. It changes who we are. It changes how we act and how we think of ourselves and of each other. So my prayer and my challenge for us this morning and this week is that we might be just like the disciples, this forgiving community, this empowered community. It took them a while. It took them maybe a few more months to really start getting out of Jerusalem. Yeah. But the moment they did, they went out to the ends of the world, repeating this message. You are at peace with God and your sins are forgiven. And that is the exact same message That God has for us this morning you are at peace with God and your sins are forgiven if you hear anything else in your mind that's a lie that's Mm -hmm. doubt it's not true you are at peace with God and your sins are forgiven will you join me in prayer father we thank you for this first (coughs) Easter message that we heard from Jesus to the disciples. Peace be with you. For those who are going through trials and tribulations and suffering right now, we ask for peace. For marriages that are struggling right now, we ask for peace. For familiar relationships that are strained right now, we ask for peace. For those whose body health or mental health is struggling today, we ask for peace. For those minds and souls who have doubt in their hearts, we ask for peace. May your peace, this peace that goes beyond all understanding, may it be present with us at every single second this week. May we walk in peace, may we preach peace, may we talk in peace, may we think in peace. Let us rise up and go to bed in peace. Let us be peaceful people that are resting on the certainty that our sins are forgiven and that you are saying yes to us and you're inviting us to communion and fellowship and worship with you. Father, we want to be this community that unabashedly believes that we belong with you, that all of our neighbors belong with you, that the people that drive us nuts, they also belong with you. Mm-hmm. So give us, God, this heart like yours that is welcoming of our entire city, our entire neighborhood, our entire family. Let us preach peace to everyone around us. Let us see the miracle of resurrection. That you brought peace with us, not judgment, not condemnation, but peace. For each and every one of us. And that our sins are forgiven. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. And with the same idea, and celebrating the peace that we have with God, I'm going to invite you to partake in communion today. If you want to partake of the blood, the symbols of the blood and the body of Christ, we are partaking and celebrating that we have peace with God. And we're at peace with each other. Will you join me in worshiping through communion?